All right, good. Praise God. We want to hear what God's got to say to us. That's why we, one of the reasons of coming together, um, if we wanted to do systematic theology, um, we wouldn't really be here, would we? There's a lot of places better for that uh, than, than here. Um, but we want to hear what God's got to say to us. Because, frankly, we... We want the information, we want the knowledge, but there's something that God's placed in our hearts that we want to, to, to know has, is never, ever going to be sufficient without the doing. And so our knowledge has to be connected to doing. We're interested in the application. We're interested in, so what does it mean to do? And that's... Uh, not peculiar to us, but it is significant. And as you go around, you find that the issue of taking hold of God's word and applying it and actually believing to do it and live in it and to live in the good of it is, is a lot rarer than we think. There's a lot of information churned out, a lot of exaltation churned out, Practical application. But that's what God's given us to do because he's raised us up to be a people who, remember that word, punch above our weight. Have an effect beyond our apparent size or significance. The people that are called to reach into the world and show in reality what God's like, not just in theory. And so we've been going through Second Samuel. And we're going to continue that. Uh, but not just for information. We want to hear God. And uh, I'm going to... I'm not sure how much we'll get done today because we want to come back into worship in a bit. But I'm going to take a bit of time because... I'm, and we'll, we'll see where we get to. But what I want to do, rather than go through, I want to kind of summarize uh, chapters 13 to 17, uh, rather than read it all through, I mean, it is a story and a half. I mean, if you want a story, it's got murder, rape, deception, lies, double dealing. I mean, just about covers the whole, the whole gambit of stuff. It's dreadful stuff. I mean, it's almost like the world we live in, you know. It's played out differently. So when we were spending some time, some of the guys that work with me on looking at these things, there was nothing that really... I mean, it's interesting and it's, and it's useful and there's specific verses and we can refer to them. I thought... What is God saying? That's what we want to... Do you know what we did? In the end, we said, oh, what, what is God saying? We said, let's come back to really hear, Lord, you've directed us, we believe, to go through this. We know that 
you've said you've put things in your word for our instruction. They, weren't, they didn't just creep in when you were looking the other way. So what is it? And you have chosen to speak to us through your word. So we've got all this stuff about rape and murder and killings and double dealings and that sort of thing. Um, what is it, Lord, that you want to speak to us? And just almost instantly, we found that God said something to us. And so rather than go through all this, I'll, I'll summarize it in a bit, but I want to pick out what God is saying, and I want us to share that together. And I'll summarize the stories as a background. What God, when God speaks, and it's very necessary that we hear his word and, and receive his, his teaching, um, I don't know if you've ever seen some of those documents that, that, that are stamped uh, for information only. They mean you haven't got to do anything about it. That stamp does not appear in God's word. Uh, it's there for purpose of for teaching. And of course, the purpose of teaching is not to gain information. Right? The purpose of teaching is to achieve change. That's the true purpose of teaching. Uh, information is a step towards gaining change. And of course, that change comes as we become doers and hearers of the word. So if we had a title to this, it would be what God gives and what God has given, uh, no one can take away. What God has given, no one can take away. And what we want to do as we look at this is to see where we are perhaps in a place of some insecurity, some lacking security, and to ask God to make that change. So we're going to be talking a bit uh, about insecurity in it. Uh, do you know what insecurity is? Hmm? Well, let, let's just kind of define that so that, again, that sets us as a, a bit of a background. I won't say anything in case I get corrected in public. I just keep quiet. Um, you know, I'd rather not put myself up to play in um, case I'm not chosen in the team. Uh, we're all going somewhere for a meal, but I feel a bit uncomfortable because I'm not sure who would want me sitting at their table. Um, you know, they were talking about the people that were part of the group, and they named everybody, and they didn't name me. Do you ever find yourself kind of acting out of character when you fear being left out, maybe being louder than normal, or trying to make more engagement and more jokes? needing to make your presence felt in the group. We understand, and that's where things like parenting become so important, that it's a proven fact that where 
where no boundaries are set, that's a recipe for developing insecurity. Not feeling safe, not feeling secure, not feeling comfortable in your own skin. That's why setting boundaries is so important. And God does it right through his word and sets the example of that. That no boundaries might, on the face of it, indicate lots of freedom, but in reality, it develops lots of insecurity. And we'll look at that again as we, as we go through. Um, I, I've been listening to some of the, you know, listen to the news, uh, listen to different ones amongst us. I've been picking up some of the stories that some of you guys pick up teachers in parent evenings and open evenings and situations that you face. And you know, this issue of setting boundaries, this issue of being light in the darkness and salt in the earth, that really, really does come home. Uh, you know, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I can watch some of these reports on the news or hear some of the stories of horrendous failures in parenting and say, well, you know, that's life, that's how it is. I don't want to be unaffected by that. That, that, that's, that, that would be awful that I could just look at it hear it, see it, and not think, God, what is, okay, sure we can't fix everything, but what is it? What is your heart? What do you want in this situation? And I trust and believe that we are emerging into a time of far greater engagement and involvement, and far more effective demonstrating God's heart and introducing people to the true answer in Jesus. I, I'm trusting that God is leading us uh, into a into a, a sharpened approach and uh, a greater accuracy in reaching into these things and actually demonstrating it um, and making a difference. You know, you must be the same as I am. You hear some of these things and you think, God, the only hope really and what a difference it would make if this person or this situation was introduced to the living God. And that's, that's our rightful position. That's got to be always there. Something that, that sees this is not satisfactory. And it can be on the wider scale as well. Because God has given us that as well. In terms of the uh, confronting the kings of this world, the systems that exist. And as mentioned earlier on, and I hear uh, Ian Duncan Smith and, and the whole things, what they're planning and issues of fairness and the value of work. There's some good and right principles. But if we don't have something of the mind of God and the heart of God, it falls flat on its face because it doesn't reach to include the totality of the mind and purpose of God. 
God has set up, it's his world. He has a better way. And this horrendous thing that's happened over the years where people who have the mind of God, who are Christian, who have withdrawn from society uh, and no longer engaging with it and just having meetings in buildings and a nice comfortable time, that has got to be <coughs> within the realm of God saying, I don't like it. It might look good to you, but I don't like it. You know, I'm looking for something which is to do with the widows and the orphans and the needy and to express my heart in the real world. Doesn't that what he say? Isn't that what he says in his word? So there's a time for some grappling and stirring and engaging in this. And we haven't even got into Samuel yet. I love this quote, made famous by Jim Elliot, one of the uh, martyrs in, uh, many years ago in Ecuador. He is no fool who chooses to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Huh? He's no fool who chooses to give up what he can't keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's, that's who we are. That's, that's who God's called us to be. A people who give up what we can't keep and gain what we cannot lose. That's, how you, that's, that, that's who you are. That's the choice you've made. <laughs> Do you realize that? You've chosen to give up rights. Chosen not to hang on to anything. But in return, you've got something you can never lose. Huh? Of course, it's worked out. You make the decision and it's worked out on a daily basis. Daily we take up our cross and follow him. Luke 9.23. That's the outworking of the decision. It's, it's something that we can revisit every time. Every time I want to stick up for my right, every time I want to get my own back, every time I want to revenge, every time I want to say, I will have that, there's a time when I can choose to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. That decision, once made, lived out every day. <coughs> so the story. All right, well got David's son deciding, lusting for his sister and uh, basically then has a, a friend who, as best I can work out, may also be his nephew, um, who gives him some advice. Beware of where the advice is coming from. Yeah? Basically, gives him a scheme to fulfill what he wants in pursuance of taking something for himself. And he lures this young woman into his room and rapes her. And having raped her, he then, it then says, um, he kicks her out and he, in fact he hated her more than he had loved her. That's an interesting Love, 
See, that's where, much of where we live in this world, love is confused with lust. He went after and got what he wanted and he had people that would help him grab what he wanted. And he had schemes and <coughs> he had ways of pursuing it and he got it. And then he hated it. It was a horrendous situation. She goes to her brother Absalom. The brother realizes what's happening and doesn't deal with it. And he says, uh, well, just be quiet. Keep it, keep it under wraps. Um, don't take it to heart. It says she lived there in that house, a desolate woman. He never said a word. Absalom never sought to deal with the matter at that point in time. He just kept it in his own counsel. Because... Not dealing with it doesn't mean it goes away. And so he comes up with a scheme, again with all sorts of cunning and deceit and double dealing uh, to get, at some point later, to get this brother uh, in a place and then gets him killed. And because he's done that, then he's on the run. And the same advisor that told him how to devise a plan to get the girl, then tells the king, yeah, well, of course, um, he was always planning to kill this uh, Amnon, this brother. He was always planning to do it. I mean, the level of, of double dealing and, and deceit, it just really does remind you of the world in which we live. So he kills him and then he's on the run. Then Joab, the great fixer, he knows that really King David really wants his son back. His son is kind of in exile, wants him back. So he devises a plan and he, he gets this woman to come and tell a story about how um, one son, she had two sons, one killed the other one, and now the community want to punish the son that's still alive um, with death. And she appeals to the king. It's a, it's a story. And the king said, oh, no, 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 this mustn't happen. I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. Then she turns around and says, well, okay, you're going to deal with it, but you're going to give me my son back, but you're not even doing that with your own son. You're leaving him in exile. At which point he says, okay, I'll... I'll bring him back and um, he'll, he'll return. I, you know, I'll, I'll get over it. So uh, he returns and uh, then causes um, all sorts of problems. But in the course of that, I just want to refer you to something which is very interesting because in these things, you see little things that suddenly leap out and they're, they're kind of gems that, are, that are, are there for us to take hold of. And in this story, that, uh, in this dialogue between the woman and the king, um, the woman has confronted King David and, uh, and she says this uh, in 
defense of her son in the story not being killed and of him doing something to bring back Absalom, she says, but <clears throat> God doesn't kill the offender, but God does not take away life. This is what it actually says. If you want to follow, it's in 14, uh, verse 14. God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. Let's just hold that for a minute. See, we live in a world where revenge is sweet, revenge sells, whether it's popular novels or films, where revenge is is so marketed, so put across, that you can, if you're reading that or seeing that, you actually want, you know, the baddie to be killed because it's revenge. And you can get drawn in to the very, the very spirit of that thing. We can also understand that we live in a world where people, people survive almost and feed on hatred and, and bitterness. But God doesn't take away life. I love this bit. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. That's me. Is that you? He devised a way that somebody who had banished themselves from God might find a way. He devises individual ways, personal ways, a whole variety of ways that we don't ever need to be estranged from him because he wants us back with him. That's God. That's our God. That's our God who loves us. And whether it's in an extreme situation like this whole situation that we're reading here of murder and deceit, or whether it's just a coldness of heart or lackadaisical attitude in terms of following. He devises ways so that somebody that is somehow separated may not remain estranged from him. So Absalom comes back and uh, David, interestingly, we'll look at this as we go through, he's prepared to uh, change his position and uh, Absalom comes back. Uh, what Dawn didn't tell you about Ukraine was that we learned um, a word and that's the word for if some girls see a guy that is really handsome and attractive. The, I didn't know what the word would be. It used to be things like uh, he's a hunk or something like that here. I don't know what it is now. I mean, yeah, probably you go, it's fit, fit, that's right. Yes, you did tell me that. Was that Angela saying that? Thank you, thank you, Angela. Fit, yes, yes, yes. But I learned the word, and I don't know 
what language it is, but huddy. <laughs> huddy. So clearly Absalom was a huddy. I mean, it says, for those of you of a more dignified position, um, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. He was a huddy. Yeah? Keep that in mind. Remember, God looks not on the outward appearance. Problem was, uh, in the course of time, uh, he rose up with a conspiracy and promoted himself in all sorts of sneaky ways and basically won the hearts, by lots of deception, won the hearts of some of the people, a lot of the people. David had to flee and for his, for his own life because Absalom was uh, following a conspiracy that would take over. And so David, David has to flee and some people go with him and we'll kind of pick up a bit more of that as we go along because otherwise you won't remember it all. All right, so let's have a little look at that. Um, we're talking about uh, taking hold of something that actually God gives us that can never be taken away. And what I want us to do, I, I mean, you know, this only applies if you want to kind of engage in this. This is where the practical application comes in. What I want us to do is let the Holy Spirit, and you know, the way you do that is you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there something in this, this whole issue of increased security in you? Is there something in this for me? If so, as we look at these things, and I don't think we'll get it all done today, but as we look at this, will you show me what it is? Only you can do that. Only you can open your heart. Only you can be willing to let God show you something. You can sit and listen and be bored or mildly amused or whatever it may be, or you can actually engage in it by kind of saying that to God. When there comes, in the goodness of God, a recognition, ah, here is an area for increased security. Here is a place where I can turn from insecurity. When you get to that point, that recognition, at that point, it's decision time. And the decision is having seen it, what are you going to do about it? You're going to excuse it, bury it, pretend it's not there, or are you going to deal with it? And if you decide you're going to deal with it, then what on earth do you do? Well, here's the good news. Lord, help me. I don't want this. I turn from this. I invite you to do what only you can do. Change me from the inside because that's where God works. Not too complicated, but it does require decision. I have to choose to believe that God is good and is in control. When, uh, let me take you back a bit of history of the church. Way back when we, we started, we firmly recognized that 
The church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And in those early days, we had that apostolic leadership, from, uh, particularly from Bryn Jones. And Dave Mansell was seen in that prophetic role. But there came a point where we felt we had to make a, a stand. I was responsible for the church. We had to make a stand for what was an, essentially an issue of righteousness. They saw it as rebellion. And so they came and spoke to the group leaders then. And I felt it wasn't my position to say anything uh, in defense of our situation or, or stance we were taking. Um, uh, they made a very, very strong and convincing position uh, how that we were going astray, that I and the other leaders or elders, as they were called then, was leading them the wrong way and uh, said some very, very strong things. And I came home and I think I, I said to Dawn, I said, well, if people receive what was said, then that's the end of it. Um, certainly the end of our involvement. And strange thing happened. Completely contrary to what we expected, every single group leader felt, no, we were making a stand for righteousness and they should support. But then the foundation of apostles and prophets were withdrawn. They, they not only withdrew, but they said nobody would come near us and so on and so forth. And we believe that. Now, you've got to understand, we were believing that it was based and the only reason we existed in that way was because of that foundation. So we had an expectation that the church would cease at that point. This is way, way back. The church would end there. So to our surprise, when the church continued and developed, we had to come to a conclusion that we were here because God ordained that this particular expression of his body was raised up by him and should continue as an expression of his body for as long as he decided it should be. It wasn't dependent upon any other structure or understanding. And I guess from that point, we concluded we could rest in that because we don't need to be looking over our shoulder. We don't need to be worried. We need to say, no, this continues for as long as God wants. And frankly, if God didn't want it, would we want it? Oh. So what a great place to be. A place where we can be at rest, never uh, getting sort of uptight about uh, issues that pertain to the ongoing nature of the church. Glad to say that subsequent to all that, um, not only was the situation clarified and it was accepted that we were making a decision based on righteousness, and to be fair, the people concerned came back to say that, but in latter times, uh, then there was repentance and resolve and uh, 
Um, so before uh, Bryn died, we certainly uh, were very much uh, restored in relationship there. So that was a very good thing. Um, it's interesting, though, isn't it, that when you settle that this is God's doing, it, it, it can't be destroyed, it can't be taken away, nothing can change um, other than God ordains that it, that it could do. When I was uh, looking at this and guys were asking me various questions, there was another incident that came to mind and <clears throat> I'll share this as well. Yeah, I think I will. Might as well. Shlovich? Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, going back some years ago, a couple of the leaders that were here, they were very concerned that one of the people that was coming in, they suddenly sensed that uh, the network was formed then, that he wanted to lead the network and they, they got quite troubled about it and I thought I hadn't even thought that I hadn't even seen that and actually it, it, it wasn't even applicable I mean, God had called me to do that and it, it didn't even occur to me that it would even anybody else would even think yet alone could it happen and if it did, then I'd have to be resting that God allowed that. Can you, can you see the importance of what God's given? It can't be taken away. It can't, it can't be changed. We haven't got to guard it. We haven't got to resist. <coughs> um, we can rest in that. And it's, it's a good place to be. Jeremy, got a little, yes, please. Here's a, just a little illustration, just so that we understand that a little bit more. My water bottle? Yes, you can have my water bottle. Right. Jeremy is holding on tight to what he's got. How could we get that away? Hey. Well... Yes, quite a painful process. Hmm? Did he hurt you? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, you're getting too... <laughs> hey, I told you you're getting too big, too brutal. In fact, I think I want to stand up here, so... <laughs> yeah, give it back to him. Holding it with an open hand. Now let's see. can't get to it. It's like a, an invisible force. See, the thing that, just a little illustration, when God gives it to us, you can hold it like that. And if God wants to take it away, it's not painful. But tell you what, even the strength of Ben could not remove that. It's like the invisible force. God has put it there. Yeah? I want us to live in the good of that. What God has given, no one can take away. Yeah? Can't be removed. 
when I'm secure in God, I, I can be patient. I trust God. I know that he'll provide what he knows I need when I need it. So I don't have to go and get it for myself. See, that's a, that's a fatal error, trying to get it for myself. We already referred to it. When I'm insecure, when I'm not trusting in God, when my security is not in him, I get impatient. I need to get it for myself. I need to make it happen. <coughs> I need to make sure I have what I want when I want it. And we saw that um, Amnon basically seeks to get what he wants his way. And ends up hating what he'd actually got. We see that Absalom basically takes what he wants. The hatred and the anger that's in his heart. He will deal with it his way. And eventually ends up in murder. See, if, if we're looking to see what God is saying to us. There is a place of safety and security in him. But the other side is not neutral. The other side is deadly dangerous. If we seek to get for ourselves, we seek to do it my way. We interfere with the plan and purpose of God. So there's a great place of rest and security in him. But there's a very dangerous place of doing it a different way, going our own way, doing our own thing. Remember back in previous chapters when God said to David after that Bathsheba, uh, horrific situation, Dave, God said to David, you know, I promised to give you all this but even if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more. But you went and took something for yourself. David, on the other hand, even after Absalom sought to take the kingdom, as we look a little bit more at that story, we find that he was in a place of, place of rest, even while he's on the run. He's in a place of expectation of regaining the kingdom when everything is against him. This is a place of patience. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's a place of trusting that God would give and God would preserve and God would return according to his plan and according to his purpose. There's one more little story that Jeremy told that I asked, would you tell that story? It's a man that he, that he met. Um, it's, it's, it's a good story. Actually, what I'm thinking, probably I could sit down and you could do the rest. Yeah, um, I was talking to a guy uh, recently, and he was an elderly guy, um, and he was describing to me how he was learning to live in a place of complete faith um, in God. 
and his wife had recently died, and he was um, quite vulnerable, but he was you know, learning to find that place of security. And I think the term he used to describe it was a reckless faith that he was, he was living in. Um, and there was one particular story he told me which, which really stood out. Um, he was on the bus going to do some shopping, and um, the bus stopped at his stop, and he went to get off. And somehow, in the confusion of getting off, I think there was a crowd... Um, he dropped his, his bus pass, his freedom pass. Um, and it wasn't until the bus was driving away and he was on the pavement that he realized what he'd done. Um, but he didn't panic. He was just very, uh, very peaceful. He just uh, said a simple prayer to God. Um, he just said, Lord, you know my situation. You know what's happened. Uh, you're in control. Um, and he just asked God to kind of take control of the situation. And so that he was filled with an incredible sense of peace and was able to do his shopping um, and, yeah, just go, go about his daily business. And, you know, he didn't feel any panic. He didn't feel any um, anxiety over this, but he just felt this sense of peace that everything was, was going to be okay. Um, and eventually it came time to, to go home. Um, and obviously this is the crucial moment because, you know, he, he lost his bus pass. Um, but he, he went to the bus stop and he, he sat down and just, again, had this sense that everything was going to be okay, that God was in control. Um, and as the buses began to come, um, one bus came, and it, I think it was the right bus that he needed to get home, but he just had the sense that it wasn't, it wasn't the right bus, it wasn't the one he should get on. Um, so he let it go past, and another one came, and he did the same, until finally um, a bus came, and he had the sense that, yes, this was the, this was the right bus, this is the one I need to get. Um, and so he, he got on the bus and went up to the driver and said, I know this may sound crazy, but... Um, and before he could finish, the driver handed him his, his bus pass. Um, and yeah, it was an amazing story, but I was just really struck by the, the sense of faith that this guy had and the, the place of peace that he was in, that he didn't have to pray this elaborate prayer when he realized he lost his bus pass. He just simply acknowledged God's control over the situation, um, and his security was, was firmly in God. Mm. Um, Thanks, Jeremy. That's a... An intriguing, very real little story, isn't it? Just resting in God. I've told you before um, of the tragedy of a situation that I faced a few years ago when that wasn't the case. And it was while I was... Um, working with Noel Woodruff and some of the situations there. A situation came up uh, with one of the, one of his kind of, I suppose it'd be a, like a team member. And such was the situation. He asked me to go. I flew out to the States and he flew in from, I don't know, I think he was coming back from Australia or somewhere. And we met and we talked with this guy who was a very learned um, Bible teacher. And he said something which to this day strikes horror in me. All these years I've served God and I've served the needs of others. I need to do something now for myself. Was his response to what we were bringing to him. And it was, it was horrific. It, it, even now, it sounds like someone pronouncing their own death sentence, you know. 
That's what happened. He watched. His marriage went, his health went, and his life went, and his, minis his ministry went, and his life went. The whole lot went. And, and that was the end. It's a very, very solitary thing. <coughs> I think I'm going to... We carry on um, week after next when I'm back from Zimbabwe. But I did ask you um, if you wanted to engage in this. And we're touching some very important things. We're purposely not going through all the detail of the story because there's something that God is saying. God does not speak without purpose and without significance and without promise. What he's saying is, I'm offering new places of security in me. I'm offering a new place where there's insecurity to see it dealt with. And all it needs is recognition or acceptance, decision to do something, and a prayer. And I want not to wait for a couple of weeks, but I want right now, and we'll do it again, but right now, I want us just to take a moment in prayer, and then we're going to come back into worship again. And just lift our hearts to God. The God who draws us to himself. God who delights not in separation and banishing, but God who, whose delight is in bringing us to him and bringing us together. The God whose delight is in forgiveness and restoration. The God who makes provision for things deep inside us that need a miracle to change because we can't do it ourselves. We can build alternatives. We can come up with our solution. But it doesn't work. We can have therapy. We can have counselling from now till Jesus comes. But it's not a substitute for what God can do. And what God will do. And I just want to give you opportunity, just as we come back into worship, to, to just do that. Is there something God said? Are you prepared to recognise it? Are you deciding that you want to deal with it with God? And then we can pray. Lord, we just ask you right now that where you, by your Holy Spirit, have touched hearts of your people and just put your finger on areas of self-help or areas of insecurity, areas of expressed in lack of patience and trust in you. That, Lord, as different ones turn to you, will you confirm your word with signs following? A sign that we ask, Lord, that you would deal with this thing that's been offered up to you. That in place of an expression of insecurity would come in its place, a place of rest and peace in you. We dare to believe, Lord, that these things you're saying to us in preparation for what you've got for us in coming days. And therefore, Lord, we receive from you the preparation that we might live in all the strengthening and preparing for that which you've got as we seek to be what you've called us to be and salt in the earth and light in the darkness. We dare to believe, Lord, 
We are in times of significant preparation as we're thrust into the outworking of your purpose into a darkened and desperate world, but as those who have the light and life of God. So, Lord, right now, we invite you to deal as only you can in the hearts of men and women. Come, Lord, pour out your Spirit. Come, Lord.